Welcome to Freed Up, the podcast where life feels lighter. You know, sometimes life can have us feeling worn out and weighed down, locked up and left out, or just looking for more. And if that sounds like you, then you are in the right place. God has a word for you. It is time to get free up. And in today's episode, we're going to start looking into our eyes, looking at our identity. So stay locked in. We'll get started in a moment. So first I want to say, Welcome. If you are a first time listener, I'm so glad that you joined us. I hope and pray that you'll find this as a space where you can journey toward your goal of being freed up. And if you've been listening, I thank you so much for coming back each episode. I hope that you subscribe so you can stay on top of the new episodes and get all that God has for you in this season of being freed up. So let's get to our episode for today. September 11, 2001 was one of the deadliest days in our nation's history. Four passenger planes were hijacked by 19 Al-Qaeda terrorists, absolute enemies of the United States. Two of the planes were intentionally crashed into the North and South Towers of the World Trade Center complex in Lower Manhattan. These were the tallest buildings in New York City, and in just under two hours, both 110-story towers collapsed. The debris and the fires that resulted from the jet fuel and other substances from the collapsed towers contributed to the collapse of the other buildings in the World Trade Center complex. And it also caused major damage to at least 10 other surrounding structures. Later, as you know, another plane crashed into the Pentagon and then a fourth plane crashed into a field near Pennsylvania. According to the 911 Commission's reporting on all of these terrorist activities, the attacks on the Twin Towers killed close to 3,000 people and approximately 400 firefighters and law enforcement officers lost their lives that day, one of the deadliest days for first responders in our nation's history. Others died later of cancer and respiratory diseases because of their exposure to the toxins caused by all of the damage. And financially, it cost about $750 million to clean up 1.8 million tons of debris at what we now call Ground Zero. Just hearing the date 911 still drudges up bearing thoughts and emotions. I can still see the images on the TV screen. And I still remember where I was at the time that I first heard about the attacks on the Twin Towers. An extended family member of mine was in a building at work in downtown Manhattan during the attacks. It was an unforgettable day. It indelibly changed every American that was alive at that time and able to witness or hear about what had happened. And literally, it drew the attention, the focus of the entire world. As part of the preservation of this historical event by the 911 Memorial and Museum, we know that the terrorists targeted the Twin Towers because of their symbolism and level of importance in the life of our nation. 
Al-Qaeda didn't have the capacity to destroy our military, so they chose symbolic targets instead. The Twin Towers were the centerpieces of the World Trade Center, and they stood as a marker of globalization and of America's economic power and prosperity. The Pentagon, as the headquarters for the U.S. Department of Defense, served as a symbol of American military power. Our enemies hoped that by attacking these symbols of American power, they would stir up this widespread fear throughout our country and severely weaken our nation's standing in the world, which would in turn allow them to have more power for their evil schemes and agendas. You do know that we have an enemy as well. He is Satan, our adversary, and he hates you and he hates me. But most of all, he hates God. And because he can't overcome God's omnipotence, which is God's unmatched power, he chooses to attack God's creation because we are symbols of God's love and his care. Because we are made in God's image, we bear his markings. We are recipients of God's grace, his provision, his goodness, and his favor. And this does not sit well with our enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says that the devil walks about looking for whom he can demolish and destroy. And he intentionally and strategically attacks two towers of influence in our lives. They are our identity in God and our intimacy with him. These are both at the core of our spiritual existence and relationship with God. And when our identity in God and our intimacy with him is compromised, the collateral damage can be devastating. It leads to the collapse of other areas in our lives, in particular, our mental and emotional health. Regarding our identity being under attack by our enemy, I want to share about two instances in the Bible where this is the case. One is found in the book of Genesis. We talked about in the last episode that God created Adam and Eve, gave them everything they would ever need because he was their source. He also gave them an important boundary. God's boundaries are for our protection and they are also a way that God allows us to choose our obedience to him and his purposes for our lives. As part of God's provision, he planted a garden for Adam that had many trees with food that was appealing and very pleasing to the eye, and it was good to eat. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, God told Adam that he had access to all the trees for food, except for one was off limits. It was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told Adam, if you eat from this one tree, you will surely die. Now, it's important to understand that the tree that God spoke of didn't have within itself this power to give out any knowledge or even cause death. But this tree was part of God's plan to let his human creation choose to trust his words, his directive to them, and to give them the opportunity to obey him. In other words, the tree itself did not have the power to cause death. It's the sin and disobedience that would cause them to die. And then in Genesis chapter 3, the devil approached Eve and he tempted her to disobey what God had told them. But pay attention, though, to the enemy's strategy. He started off with this. 
did God really say? And then he lied and he told her the opposite of what God said to them. Listen to these verses in Genesis chapter three, verse four and five. The enemy says, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now don't miss this. Satan saw Eve as a symbolic representation of God's goodness, and he hated that. And through his lies, he planted seeds of doubt, not just about who God is and what God said, but about who Eve could become. He played with her mind about her identity when he told her, you will be like God. Wasn't it enough for Eve to be identified as God's creation and have this perfect covenant relationship with him and with Adam? And her giving into this attack also spread to Adam and the collateral damage became the sin of this world. Another instance where the enemy attacked identity is found in the New Testament of the Bible in Matthew chapters three and four. After Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and rests on Jesus and God speaks from heaven and announces that Jesus is his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. This declaration was the official sanctioning of Jesus's ministry, his power, his position, and his purpose, and most importantly, his dependence on God. And directly following in the next chapter, chapter four, Jesus was led by the spirit of God into the desert to be tempted by the enemy. Yes, the enemy, the devil came to Jesus with three different temptations, all intended for him to disobey God. In two of those temptations, he began them with this phrase, if you are the son of God. And in this particular case, it wasn't that the devil wanted to make Jesus doubt who he was, but rather he wanted Jesus to use his identity for his own benefit and not for God's. He wanted Jesus to be independent and do his own thing, his own way. And of course, Jesus responded to the enemy with the word of God each time and he did not sin. And eventually the devil went away see, Jesus knew who he was and he knew whose he was. And by holding firm to his identity, he knew how to overcome his enemy. And so today I'm going to start the conversation about our identity and how we can live freed up when we too are tempted to believe something other than what God has said, how God made us and how he sees us. Identity is who we believe we are how we perceive ourselves. Our identity defines us. It shapes our sense of value and our worth. It impacts our self-esteem. There's a lot of talk about identity in our culture today. We can easily get lost in the myriad of identities that are placed upon us by society or that we simply choose to believe about ourselves. Many people experience confusion about who they are and what their purpose is in life because of the heavy influences of constant messages and narratives from sources that are unstable, ever-changing, unreliable, and most often untrue. God cares about what we believe about our identity because he gave it to us when he made us. 
and he purposed it to guide how we live, how we behave, and have relationship with him and with others. He intended that our God-given identity would guide our discovery about who we are. And our identity has what I believe are two aspects to it. One is our created identity, which tells us who we are. And then also our covenant identity, which tells us whose we are. So let's break these down. All of us can lay claim to our created identity because all of us are God's creation. Yet all of us are distinctly unique within that created identity. We are the original and only version of ourselves. There is no 2.0. No one can duplicate God's design of you. No one else has the you blueprint. No one has your characteristics, your gifts and talents, the way that God pressed them into you, no matter how similar it can look in other people. No one else is like you in the entire world. So just pause for a minute and think about this. Do you realize that the same God who orders nature and sustains this entire universe day and night knows you fully and completely because he made you? He was aware of your conception and your development in your mother's womb. He knows the total count of the number of hairs on your head. And when I think about that, I always say, including the gray ones, the ones that you've had colored, the ones that have been trimmed and cut, the ones that have grown back, God knows that level of detail. He knows every thought and every word you will ever speak before you say them. And for some of us in one day, that's a whole lot of words and thoughts. He knows when you get up in the morning and when you lay down at night, when you come in and when you go. And God made you in love and with pleasure. He smiles at the very thought of you. You are God's masterpiece. He is your skilled and perfect designer. You know, sometimes we minimize God's perfect design of us. We have so many parts about ourselves that we don't feel good about. But God made you exactly how he wanted you to be. Recently, I volunteered at a summer camp for youth. It was hosted by the Community Affairs Division of our local police department. And I had a chance to chaperone a group of kids and we took a tour of police headquarters. The last stop on the tour was in the criminal investigations unit. We stopped in the area where they test all types of substances for fingerprints. We got a chance to see a demonstration on how fingerprints are lifted from items and then they match them to individuals within this massive database. One of the kids asked if someone else's fingerprints could be confused with theirs. He was really hoping that nobody could confuse him in case a crime was committed. The investigator assured all of us that confusing two people was not possible because no two sets of fingerprints are the same in the world, not even with twins, not triplets, not even sextuplets. This blows me away. God put within your fingertips your very own unique markings. He gave you your identity and your fingerprints bear witness to that fact. God has done so much in giving us our identity that when we decide who we are apart from him, or we allow someone else or something else to define us, it smacks in the face of God who designed us exactly how he wanted us to be, on purpose, for a purpose. 
and God is all wise. He doesn't make mistakes. And while we all get to claim our created identity, we have to reclaim through Jesus by choice our covenant identity in God. This is the aspect that reflects whose we are. See, all of this was intact in the beginning. God's first human creations knew that God was their creator. And because of their covenant relationship with him, they knew they were his children, that they were his and he was theirs, that he was their father, their caretaker, their nurturer, their source for wisdom, for understanding. He was everything they needed. And as a consequence, they knew that they were loved unconditionally. They knew their value, their purpose. They knew that they belonged and that they were divinely connected to the God of the universe. And they lived in the freedom that came with their trust in God. But when sin damaged the covenant relationship they had with God, it also affected their covenant identity. And because of their guilt and shame that followed, they saw God in a different way. And they believed that he saw them differently as well. Adam and Eve hid from God and they began to mistrust God's love and care for them. They no longer felt secure in their identity in God. And this struggle with the covenant identity was passed down through generations that followed. It showed up even with God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. You see, God chose the nation of Israel to be in covenant with him, to be set apart from all other nations in the world, to represent him. He was theirs. They would be his, just like it was with his first created ones. But Israel wanted to be like everyone else. They wanted a king like everyone else had. They wanted to live like all the other nations lived. They so struggled with their covenant identity. And over and over again, they abandoned their covenant with God to do their own thing and live independently from God. They got so far from him that God told them that what they had done was evil. Listen to his words in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. So cisterns were used to collect water from other sources, and they were not always clean, and they relied on the runoff from another source. See, God had given Israel himself in this covenant relationship. He was their fountain of life, fresh and flowing, and yet they exchanged him, their source, for a cracked, unstable, unreliable, second-at-best resource. They traded the very source of their identity for a broken version that would never, ever hold up. And by the way, there is nothing special about trying to be like someone else. Carbon copies never look the same. I don't care how good the toner is. It's still a copy and it looks like it. You, my sister, are an original version. Don't be somebody else's weakened resolution copy. And most importantly, don't trade God's fountain of promises in your life for a broken cistern of an existence. I struggled with my identity for years. I grew up in a blended family. We had lots of love and we were very close and we still are. 
And yet we all had varying levels of soul searching, trying to determine who we were as individuals in this broader blended family and just life in general. I went to an all white private Christian school from first grade through 12th grade. I was the only female of color in my class, the entire educational experience that I had. And there were plenty of situations in that setting and many others in my community and in my church that made me question my place in life, my value, my worth. I knew in my mind who God made me to be, but I didn't fully believe in my heart. And so I put my trust and my hopes in my grades, my athletic ability and my talents and gifts, hoping that they would make me feel good about me and that they would give me some level of value. And I excelled in all these areas but I still didn't really grasp the completeness of my identity in God. And that caused me to search for it. And I searched. I searched through relationships with men, break up, another relationship, break up, another relationship, break up, another relationship. I searched for an achievement in my workplace, serving in every ministry possible in my church, And just in general, I was just seeking the approval of others as validation of who I was. Can I tell you, none of these, none of them measured up. Because the bar for trying to measure up always seemed to get higher and higher and I couldn't reach it. And I felt more empty and less validated and more confused about myself when all these sources eventually failed me. And it wasn't until the last few years that I decided to give up my broken cisterns for God's well of life and begin to discover myself through the aspects of my God-given identity. And you know what? My journey in this is still evolving. And when I begin to get off track in my thinking and behaving, I'm so grateful God reminds me just to dip into his fountain of life, of my created and covenant identity. Unlike all those other resources I was depending on to define me, God never changes, and neither does his word or his promises. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he has no other agenda with you than for you to be all that he has ordained for you to be. Do you want to be freed up in your life and have mental and emotional wellness? Then my prayer for you is that you will recognize the attacks on your identity for what they are and know the reasons why you are a target. And reject the temptations to believe other than who God made you to be and what he made you for. We have to discover who we are. That's part of this life's journey. But let's do it with roots planted firmly in our identity in God. Well, our time is gone. That went fast. But today we've talked about the why behind our struggles with our identity. We have so much more to talk about as it relates to this So we're going to have to continue this topic into another episode for sure. There is so much to it. And second to receiving God's love, knowing our true identity in him, in my opinion, is the next most important connection to our spiritual, mental, and emotional health. So I'm going to give you a sneak preview for the next episode. And here it is. When we don't know our identity in God, at least four things are at stake. Our authenticity our assessment of our value and our worth, our assignment and our purpose, and our authority and confidence in God. So we're going to unpack all those together in the next episode. 
It'll be part two of looking into our eyes, starting with identity. I don't know where you might be in your own discovery phase of your identity. I don't know your story. I don't know your situation, but wherever you are, I want to encourage you. Keep your head up. God is getting us freed up. Much love to you and God's blessing.